Let me tell you about uh, our honeymoon. Lenya's grandfather was in the hotel business and had connections, as he called them. Well, his connection was with a hotel up in Oxnard and Ventura, and he got us what they called the honeymoon suite. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these places, but I found out they vary from place to place. And we were all excited, nervous, certainly, as we were going up from where we were married in Southern California, going up a little bit up the coast, and I knew that it was my last time to be at the coast, so I was kind of waving goodbye to the ocean before I came out here. And we got to our hotel, we got the key, and of course the guy at the desk gave us the key with the wink, this is the honeymoon suite, and I said, right, thanks, give it to me. <laughs> Unlocked the door and found pink carpet. Not only pink carpet, but all around the room were strewn in the motif on the wallpaper, the lamps, these golden cherubs, naked golden cherubs, holding up the lamp. And I, you know, I looked at that. It was so gaudy. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> then above the bed was this huge mirror. And we looked at each other and I thought, oh, this is... This is wild. And so I called downstairs and I said, have you got another room? I said, no, this is our last room. You're stuck with this one. So why, is something wrong with it? I said, well, it's gaudy. And, oh, yeah, it is pretty weird, isn't it? You know, the guy kind of laughed on the phone. So I went to my car, got this poncho that I had for the rain and taped it over the mirror that was on top of the, the bed. Um, it was awkward. She came from Youth with a Mission. And I had always desired to go and start a church in a new community. And so I viewed her as a woman of God, and she viewed me as a man of God. And to get to know each other in a new capacity was quite awkward. It was very, very different. How do we act? The great thing about the Bible is that it is the best book on relationships, interpersonal relationships, and sex. It is very clear you find out that God is not a prude, that God has designed us with incredible appetites and wants them fulfilled in a godly and a biblical way. And we have to understand that sex was God's idea. You know, some people think in this new sexual revolution, wow, we've got this great idea. Like, we found sex. God found it. He invented it. It was His desire. It was His design for mankind. But we have to keep in mind that sex is like a fire. It's great, it's warming, it gives light as long as it's in the fireplace. But you remove that fire out of the fireplace, out of the hearth, and it is uncontrollable and it is destructive, as the testimonies have borne out. Unfortunately, people in our society have worshipped sex. It has become deity. And have therefore become slaves to sex and sexual desire. But here's the good news. A couple of researchers from... Family Life Seminars have concluded in their years of research this. They said, we conclude that Christians generally experience a higher degree of sexual enjoyment than non-Christians. It was based on a number of things. A few of them I'll share. One was Red Book Magazine that published a sexual pleasure survey showing the preferences of 100,000 women. They said, quote, sexual satisfaction is related significantly to religious belief. With notable consistency, the greater the intensity of a woman's religious convictions, 
the likelier she is to be highly satisfied with sexual pleasures of marriage. Also, these two researchers read what Robert Levin said. He co-authored with Masters and Johnson the book called The Pleasure Bond. He said, quote, Strongly religious women seem to be more responsive, and she is more likely than non-religious women to be orgasmic almost every time that she engages in sex. Why is that? Because pleasure is a byproduct, not a goal. Pleasure is a byproduct. It is not a goal. When you seek to serve God and to please your spouse, incredible pleasures await. If you do it for selfish reasons, it just simply intensifies the desire without really fulfilling it. The physical aspect of sex is only a small part of the whole. It, when done right, when seen right, is the icing on the cake of a loving, caring relationship. Outside of that, it is destructive. We, we do not marry to copulate. That's just legalized prostitution. And it does not fulfill. It's bound for failure. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, as you know, and it has been quoted, that God had a certain design for the human race. And when marriage is as God intended it to become, it is rapturous. It is so full of joy, this relationship. In the beginning, when God realized that man by himself was not complete, and he thought, I will make a woman who will be a helper or someone comparable to him. And it says that God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He made woman from the man's rib. And it said, brought the woman to the man. When the woman was brought to the man, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. God said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And then it says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There they were, in love with each other. God had brought them together. They were absolutely stark naked, and they weren't ashamed because of it. It started out the way God intended it to. Modern man has an interesting name for intercourse. They say, let's make love. You know, the Bible never uses that expression. The Bible uses the word know for having sexual intercourse. Adam knew his wife. Speaking of being joined sexually, you know why? Because sex is not an act, it is a relationship. That's why it says he knew his wife Eve. It was simply a part of the whole. Now, in the remaining time, uh, I want to talk about a few things. And uh, we don't have time, as you can see. To, there's so many subjects we could talk about during a seminar. This could be a month long. But I want to talk about the delusion of design, first of all. That is, the idea that some people have that the purpose for sex is only for procreation. That is, to produce more human beings upon the earth. Certainly that is true. God said, be fruitful and multiply. But he had something even beyond that. And again... God has great ideas. And one of them was sex. Not only the act of sex, but the physical desire and the ability, the nervous system, to enjoy it. God designed us to be stimulated sexually. It's nothing you have to be ashamed of. That's the way God made you, to be stimulated sexually. C.S. Lewis said, pleasure is God's invention, not the devil's. Which means God made all parts of your body good. 
there are not some good parts. Well, that's a bad part of your body as some parents wrongly teach their children. All parts are good. God-given, therefore they must be God-guided. But all of them are good. You know, after God made His creation, after God made man, the sexual parts of man as well as every other part, God stepped back and He commented by saying, it is all very good. He didn't say, ah, I could have done better. He didn't say, oh, I made man, but he didn't work out. I'll better make somebody else. God looked and He said it was very good. And this is before the fall, not after the fall, which means that sexual part of man is part of His original design. Now that's basic. We need to think correctly about this. We need to think correctly about marital intimacy or we will never enjoy it the way God intended us to enjoy it. It's sad, but there are still many people within the church who view sexual intimacy as something dirty. You know what? If you're one of them, God begs to differ with you. And for you to say that it is not good is to question God's goodness because all good, all loving Creator said it is good. That was His designation from the beginning. Would you turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 13 to look at one verse of Scripture. And then we'll look at it, just a couple others. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. It's honorable. It is a sacred experience. And the word here in uh, this verse for bed is the Greek word koite. We get the word koitis. It speaks of the intimate relationship of cohabitation between a man and a woman where they come together sexually. And it could be literally translated the cohabitation by the implanting of the male sperm. Now we've heard a lot about sexual misuse, abuse, homosexuality, fornication, adultery, pornography, and all of the wrong ways that men and women try to gratify this desire. We've heard about it. We know about it, I think, by this point very clearly. And God condemns it. But what God condemns is not the burning of the fire, but the burning of the fire outside the fireplace, outside of its designated place. Take the fire outside of the hearth. It is wrong. It is destructive. It's uncontrollable. Inside the fireplace, God wants it to burn hot and passionately. And it's nothing you ever have to be ashamed about. And it says here that God sees it as undefiled and as honorable. I gotta say, just from a practical standpoint, I remember that first night very, very well. It was hard, it was awkward, it was a bit embarrassing looking at the pink. I'll never forget the look of that room. I'll never forget my awkward feeling inside as I looked at this woman and as she looked at me. We've been married about 14 years coming up. And I can say it gets better and better as the months and the years roll on. I'm more in love with her. I look at her with more joy and with more pleasure. And it gets more awesome as the time goes on. Now, the Bible does not mince words on these subjects. In fact, I'd like you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. That's what we want to look at. 
in the remaining time that we have. Proverbs chapter 5. The Bible does not mix words. It's very forthright and open. And a Proverbs chapter 5, you'd be interested to know, is the sex talk that a father has with his son. And I think it was a talk that probably in Solomon's life began very early. I don't think he waited till he was 16 because if he did, he waited too long. His son found out about it about 10 years before. But here is a chapter where Solomon takes his son aside under his arm as every father should to his children and tells them the right use of that sexual passion and how fulfilling it can be and how it can be defiled when it's taken out of its proper context. Solomon wanted his son, it's obvious from this chapter, to enjoy a lifetime of fulfillment. Not just a moment, but have a fire that would burn and become brighter and brighter as the years would go on. In verses 1 through 5, it's a warning how marriage can be defiled. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion, that your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman, woman drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, and you do not know them. That's good sound advice. Hey, there's a lot of temptation out there, son, but just know that the end of that path is hell itself. She looks good. She is outwardly very tempting and tantalizing, but just know that the end result is not a pretty picture. Very good, forthright wisdom from a father to his son. Therefore, hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. This seminar has proved that it is possible to give your years to the cruel one, to live out the consequences for years, sometimes a lifetime, because of the wrong use of the sexual passion. Lest aliens, it's not speaking of your children, speaking of those that are brought into a relationship that shouldn't be, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who have instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Now, let's look carefully at the next few verses. If you think God is some stuffy prude, think again as you read these verses. Drink water from your own cistern. And running water from your own well, speaking about the sexual pleasure between a man and a woman. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you, lest your fountain be blessed, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times and be enraptured with her love. This is the Word of God. 
Be fulfilled with your wife's body, not another. With her breasts and not another. You know, sex does sell, as we've heard from Chip and from Randy and from Al. It sells. And the selling point usually is the breasts of a woman. It does something as a man sees them. And so here's Solomon saying, Son, I'm going to warn you. There's a lot of women out there who talk really sweet and they want to drag you down and you've got passions and it can destroy you. And there's a lot of temptations when you look at the breasts of women. They're for your wife. Those pleasures are to be enjoyed in that context only. Now, I want you to notice verse 19. Let her breasts satisfy you. The word in Hebrew means to be satiated or saturated or to have one's drink to the fill. And then, and always be enraptured with her. That word enraptured means to swerve, to meander, to reel, to roll, and to be intoxicated. What a descriptive word. It shows that the relationship of love intimately between a man and a woman is not to take place like that and it's over. It's supposed to be a long, enduring, endearing kind of a thing. And it would suggest from the Bible foreplay in the original Hebrew language. Almost every commentator speaks to that point. Now what's interesting is that modern sex therapists have come up with this whole idea of we have finally discovered all about sexuality. It's the 90s. We know it all. And we're here to tell you as modern experts that the key to a happy sexual relationship is that long, enduring foreplay before the sex acts takes place. Listen, Solomon said it 3,000 years ago to his son. Father to son, talking about how to be fulfilled in a marriage. Now, let's go on. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. You know, I've heard that scripture quoted. I've memorized it. Many of you have memorized it. But did you know that its context is in the relationship of a husband and woman sexually? That's what this chapter is all about. The idea is that God sees what you do. And God looks upon and approves of correct sexual activity within the context of marriage. And He approves of it. He doesn't say, oh, shouldn't do that. It's only for procreation. You shouldn't be enjoying this. It shouldn't be long and drawn out. Oh, baloney. Says Solomon to his son. And I love that. And Solomon ought to know. He wrote another book called the Song of Solomon. And I've heard people try to allegorize that, say it's really speaking of the love that we have for Jesus and Jesus has for us. Primarily, it's a manual in marriage of people who love each other physically and sexually. And I love that it's in the Bible. And I love it when people say, you know, God's so outdated. Really? Read the Song of Solomon. You just might blush. It's the love expressed between a man and a woman. And I'm going to read a little portion of it to you. And I want you to turn. I want you to listen as I read it to you in the Living Bible. This is a wife as she looks upon her husband's body. She says, My beloved one is tanned and handsome, better than 10,000 others. His head is purest gold. He has wavy raven hair. His eyes are like doves besides the water brooks, deep and quiet. His cheeks are like sweetly scented beds of spices. His lips are perfumed lilies. His breath is like myrrh. That's a compliment, by the way. 
His arms are round bars of gold set with topaz. His body is bright ivory encrusted with jewels. His legs are as pillars of marble set in sockets of finest gold. Like cedars of Lebanon, none can rival him. His mouth is altogether sweet, lovable in every way. I'm thinking, boy, this is in the Bible? Well, just wait. It even gets better. Now Solomon writes to his wife, perhaps on their wedding night, perhaps later, we don't know, but in chapter 7, as Solomon sees his wife, he says, How beautiful your tripping feet, O queenly maiden! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of the most skilled of craftsmen. I love that. It just hit me. Of the most skilled craftsmen. In other words, God made you so beautiful, so erotic in my sight. And it's a work of God, the most skilled craftsman. Your navel is lovely as a goblet filled with wine. Your waist is like a heap of wheat set about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns. Yes, lovely twins. You are tall and slim like a palm tree and your breasts like clusters of dates. I said I will climb up into the palm tree and take hold of its branches. Now may your breasts be like grape clusters and the scent of your breath like apples and your kisses as exciting as the best of wine, smooth and sweet, causing the lips of those who are asleep to speak. Husbands and wives, you ever talk to each other like that? Who knows what might happen tonight if you did that today? Brings out an important point. Verbal affirmation in a marriage relationship is absolutely essential. Solomon didn't say, boy, you've gained a lot of weight. He complimented her verbally, affirming what he saw and made her feel confident in his love. Sex is a part of God's plan from the beginning. Anyone who questions that sex is good questions the idea that God is good, as we said already from the beginning. Shame and sex was not God's idea. He created it good. It came only when sin entered the relationship. Now, I want to talk about not only this, but the difference in drive between a man and a woman. And this is something that husbands and wives have grappled with forever. And sexual drives ebb and flow, go up and down, depending on the person individually, uh, depending on uh, the time of the month, depending on the time of the year, depending on the time of life and all the circumstances that go with it. But there are some generalities. Now, women are different from men. I mean, that's obvious to us, right? But it's important to underscore that God made them male and female. And we all know that there are differences as we have been married or as we've dated. We recognize that, boy, it's a lot different than I thought. When a husband and wife get married and they settle down and they adjust, they understand more and more those differences. He might be hot-blooded, loves the windows open even in the wintertime. She, on the other hand, likes to wear long underwear to bed and a down coat. She's cold all the time. Uh, he might prefer the toilet paper to roll over the top. She likes to put it in under the bottom and gets upset when he does it a different way. It's funny how couples disagree even on the little things. Husbands often nag about what their wives do. Wives often nag about what their husbands don't do. These are the differences between us. There is today a tremendous push to minimize the differences between a man and a woman. I mean, people, feminists, 
as well as men are trying to minimize the difference that is very innate between a man and a woman. They say, well, the, way, the reason women act the way they do is because they've been taught to act that way, but they're really essentially the same. Now listen to what Dr. Paul Popino, the founder of American Institute for Family Relations, said. Quote, the sexes differ so markedly in ways that are not subject to change, anatomy and physiology being one. It is a serious mistake to ignore them or try to make them disappear by just talking. Men and women differ in every cell of their bodies. Men and women also differ emotionally. For an example, to a man, for the most part, romance is nice, but not that essential when it comes to the act of sex. To a woman, it is absolutely essential. It is a non-negotiable, actually. Her confidence, her sexual response, and her outlook on life are wrapped up with how secure she feels by her husband's love. If she feels secure or insecure by the way he treats her, the rest of the day will determine how she responds sexually. The difference between a man and a woman can be seen actually from the time that they are just little boys and girls. Ask a little boy what he wants to be when he grows up. Typical answer, fireman, policeman, pilot, army man, doctor. Ask a little girl what she wants to be when she grows up. You know what she'll say most times? A mommy, a homemaker. It is a God-given drive for a man to be a provider. It is a God-given drive for a woman to be a nurturer. Relationship is so important, and it's something that our Creator has put within us. You say, what does that have to do with sex and marriage? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because a woman looks upon marriage, including sex, as a perpetual relationship, not as a single act. It is all related to the rest of the day. You can't separate that hour or half an hour from the rest of the day in that woman's mind. There's also differences in libido, in sexual drive between a man and a woman. And folks, this has to be comprehended by both the man and the woman, or there's going to be a lot of heartache. And we have to be willing to understand it and also discuss it one with another. Here's an example. Men are very stimulated visually. It doesn't take much to stimulate a guy. A quick look, and it seems that men are ready at a moment's notice, sort of like a minute man. I'm ready. In fact, for some men, sex could be like a silent movie. I don't care what they say. Let's just do it. He can be asleep three minutes afterwards. While she, if there's been no communication, can lay awake resenting what just happened. It's more to a woman than just that. It's a byproduct of a relationship. If she feels close to him, if she feels nurtured by him, loved by him, accepted by him, nurtured by him, she will even, at that point, desire him physically. That's what happens because she feels secure by his love. But if she doesn't feel secure by his love, then it's just an act where she often feels like she's being used. You see, a woman is not as visually excitable as a man, generally. I know that today there's a push to say that that's happening, but on the most part it's not. Not that a woman doesn't desire to look at her husband's body, but it just doesn't excite her as much as a woman's body excites a man. That's just a natural physiological difference. 
Ann Landers asked women across America, an interesting question, she was challenged to do this. It came out in newspapers all over the country. She asked women to write postcards and reply to this question. Would you be content to be held close and treated tenderly and forget about the act of sexual intercourse? Now, how do you think men would answer that question? No way! You want to hear how women answered it? This is the reply. 90,000 women poured letters into her office. 72% said absolutely yes. They would be content to just be held tenderly and cuddled without the acts of sexual intercourse. 40% of them were under 40 years of age. Why? Because women will often give sex to get intimacy. Men will often give intimacy just to get sex. There is a marked difference in drive and purpose. You know, it's, it's amazing. Men can enjoy sexual intercourse with their wives even if they've had a, a knock-out, drag-down fight. Oh, it's over now. Let's make love. A woman can't do that. She sees it. Now, wait a minute, Jack. You've treated me like dirt all day long. For her to engage when there's been no resolution emotionally in conflict, she feels like a prostitute. She feels like she's used. It's part of a total relationship. Now, what does that mean to husbands? Listen carefully, husbands. If you want an awesome sexual life with your wife, be concerned not about that half an hour, but the other 23 and a half hours in the day. You concentrate on those hours and being interested in her, and it'll be awesome. Not just on that one little moment. The best aphrodisiacs are affirmation, acceptance, encouragement, compliments, flowers, taking out the garbage, and being interested genuinely in her. And you know what? Your wives can tell. If you're really interested in her or just getting a release, they're able to tell that. And their level of trust and love and respect for you will increase or decline depending upon your attitude. Hey, it makes women angry, and rightfully so, when their husbands treat them like dirt all day long until about 10 o'clock at night. He's watching television. He comes, he could care less about it. All of a sudden, 10 o'clock, Honey, I love you. You can understand how a wife could feel that way when you understand that this act is not just an act, it's part of an ongoing relationship. She can feel used. In Ephesians chapter 5, we read about this loving, unselfish relationship. And it says, first of all, submit one to another. How often we have heard men quote the following Scripture, and it seems that men, if they have memorized no verse at all in the Scripture, they know one verse in five different translations and in Greek. Right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Well, let's read it all together, actually. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. There's a key. You think, yeah, but I need a release. I'm a sexual creature. I've got to drive. Really? That's your body. You're in touch with that. Now, love your wife like you love your body enough to get her to release. In other words, you are there to please her. 
to give her pleasure, to encourage her, to make her feel secure. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now finally, and I want to wrap this up, by talking about the discussion of the desire. The discussion of the desire. Say, okay, I realize that sex is good, so I'm not going to feel guilty about pure, biblical, marital intimacy. But I also understand that men and women have different outlooks and different drives. How do we communicate to one another those differences in the right atmosphere so that we both understand each other? That's important because if communication breaks down, sex breaks down because sex is simply the ultimate form of communication between a husband and a wife. I'll read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Speaking here physically, sexually. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. Wives, you have the capacity to manipulate your husband with this precious gift called sex. You can be tempted to think, he didn't do what I want. He won't get what he wants. Did you know that your body doesn't belong to you? When you said, I do, you said, here, I'm yours. When you want me, I'm yours. Now, husbands, don't say, oh, I'm glad he said that. I'll remember that. Because also remember, if you don't treat her lovingly those other hours of the day, she will resent you and your marriage will pull apart. You hold the keys, man, by the way you treat that woman. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Let me read that again. Do not deprive each other. Speaking about maritally, intimately, sexually, physically. Except by mutual consent, where you both agree, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that Satan will not tempt you. Man, what a difference you'd have in your marriage if you saw sex as well as the rest of the day as a way to edify and encourage and please your wife. Instead of, boy, I hope she understands how I feel. And she should, and I'm not just talking to one or the other, but I really do believe that husbands hold the keys to the relationship with their wives. Oh, you don't know my wife. That's true, I don't. But you know what? God does, and you do. And by a consistent act of love, loving her like Christ loved the church, Eventually, there will be that loving response from your wife. As I read this text, I notice that this intimacy of sex is not to be interrupted, except under three conditions. Number one, mutual agreement. Mutual agreement. You both agreed for a reason. Secondly, the reason should be serious enough to call for prayer together. And thirdly, it is temporary, not ongoingly. It is something that is temporary. Why? So that Satan won't tempt you. And we've heard from Chet and from others the idea that often goes through people's heads, guys' heads especially. Well, gee, if I don't get it at home, maybe I should get it somewhere else. I know that's an ungodly, it's an unreasonable, scripturally reason to do anything outside of marriage, but those thoughts do go through their heads. So that Satan does not tempt you. This should not be interrupted. Okay, now communicating this to one another, 
how you feel can sometimes be very difficult. It can be, first of all, embarrassing. I know couples who've been married for a number of years and still they feel awkward about communicating their desire sexually. Oftentimes a man says, well, I don't want to say that I just want it. And it's going to make me seem like I'm just always concerned about it. That's all I'm thinking about. Well, actually, you might be just thinking about that. And if you are, you ought to be honest with her. She needs to know. Guaranteed. If you find in a marriage a passive, non-communicating husband, you will also find a very frustrated wife. She wants to know how you feel. She wants to know what you need. She wants you to trust her with your feelings and that information so that you can work it out together. Sexual desire must be communicated. If it's not, frustration, isolation, loneliness, and the grass is greener syndrome will appear. The grass is greener. Oh, I know this was the wrong person. There's somebody else out there that I've seen at the office or I've seen at Burger King or I've seen anywhere else. The grass surely must be greener than it is here. That's why it says so that you will be not tempted. Okay, how do I talk to my husband about these things? Listen, wives, there perhaps is no more interesting subject to your husband than this. Even more than football on television. Say, honey, I want to talk to you tonight about sex. Really? He'll liven up. What do you do? Pray first. And then after you pray, assure your husband that you love him dearly. Assure your husband that you find your fulfillment in him as well as the Lord because this is somebody that God has given you. And then you honestly and lovingly say, I feel like there is a problem in our intimate life, in our sexual life. There are some things I want to communicate. The key is both understanding and agreeing that there's a problem. And so in that atmosphere of love, you honestly just say, I think there's something missing. Make sure when you share with your husband that you're not just using excuses all the time. I have a headache tonight. I'm sick. I don't feel good. I'm too tired. It might be the case, and he will understand. But if you do it all the time, it will get awfully frustrating. Make sure you're not just using that as an excuse. You truly love him. But maybe there's differences like, Oh, it's too late, and why at one in the morning do you wake me up and say that you want this? I'm a morning person, not a night person like you. There's a lot of reasons that there could be those differences. But you must agree that there is a problem. Now, if he still didn't want to talk after you say, there's something I want to talk about in our intimate life together, and he still feels a little bit awkward about doing it, ask him, would you be willing to read a book if I gave it to you and didn't talk, or would you listen to this tape that Skip gave? Or one of the other tapes that were at the seminar, would you listen to it? Maybe in an atmosphere where nobody's putting him on the spot in the privacy of his own car or office as he gets this cassette or reads a book, that things will awaken in his heart. Be open to that. And then tell him, Honey, a woman's passions rise and fall depending on the cares of the day. And sometimes it's a great day, sometimes it's a horrible day, and you've got to know that it's not that I don't love you, but sometimes I've, I'm overwhelmed by those things. Those passions rise and fall according to the cares of the day. Also tell them things that you feel during your episodes of being together sexually. Honey, I don't want it so fast. I want to go slow. I want to be cuddled. I want to be caressed. And so forth. 
then often men will say, okay, how, how do I communicate to my wife? She doesn't really want to talk about this, and yet I feel like I want to talk about my sexual life. I'm afraid. But how do I communicate to my wife that I want more? Just like that. You lovingly tell her what you need, what you feel. You, t- you lovingly tell her that. First of all, search your heart though, guys. And ask yourself, do I really love her or do I just want to use her? That's an important first. Keep in mind that the way you treat her the rest of the day will depend on how she responds during this episode. Tell her frankly and lovingly your needs, your desires. And that you as a husband want to please her as well. That it's not just a one-way street. I want to know how to please you. Let's communicate about these things. Before my honeymoon, before my marriage, while I was dating my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she came back from Youth with the Mission, and I looked at her, and she was tan from Hawaii, and she had that long, beautiful hair, and she was sitting down in her dad's den, and we were talking, and we had dated, and then we broke up. And um, we were getting back together again and dating, and I looked at her that evening, and there was just, you know, love in the room. And I looked at her and I said, Lenya, I love you. And she looked at me and she said, oh, thanks. I expected at least an, I love you too. But she didn't give me one. All night. She just said, thanks. I went home then I go, oh, I just bombed. Oh, this relationship is doomed for failure. She called me the next day at work. I'm working in radiology. I have a patient inside of a CAT scan machine doing a scan of his brain after I just injected him with 100 cc's of iodine. And she calls me on the phone and she says, Skip, I love you too. This is the next day on the phone. And I'm kind of looking at the phone like, is this a joke? She says, Skip, the reason I didn't tell you I love you last night is I needed to ask God if it was okay that I tell you I love you. I'm not willing to commit my love to anyone unless I get permission from my Heavenly Father. I thought, that is awesome. She did get permission from the Lord. She got permission from the Lord to marry me. And that commitment to our love together from her in every aspect, has continued and not diminished. Our relationship is better than ever before. I don't want anybody else. I don't need anybody else. There is a complete satisfaction. In the physical realm, it gets better and better. And what I love about the Lord is that the Scripture is filled with how to have a dynamic, personal, and even sexual relationship. And I'm really glad that God had Solomon inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Song of Solomon. Just so people couldn't say, God didn't see this as good. Baloney. He invented it. I want to close with a prayer by Harry Hollis Jr. Lord, it is difficult to know what sex really is. Is it some demon sent to torment me or some delicious seducer from reality? It is neither of these, Lord. I know what sex is. It is body and spirit. It is passion and tenderness. It is strong embraces and gentle hand-holding. 
It is open nakedness and hidden mystery. It is joyful tears on a honeymooner's face. It is tears on a wrinkled face at a golden wedding anniversary. Sex is a quiet look across a room. It is a love note on a pillow. It is a rose lying on a breakfast plate. Laughter in the night. Sex is life. Not all of life, but wrapped up in the meaning of life. Sex is your good gift, O God, to enrich life, to continue the race, to communicate, to show me who I am, to reveal my mate, to cleanse through one flesh. Lord, some people say that sex and religion do not mix. But your word says that sex is good. Help me to keep it good in my life. Help me to be open about sex and still protect its mystery. Help me to see that sex is neither demon nor deity. Help me not to climb into a fantasy world with an imaginary sexual partner. Help me in the real world to love people whom you have created. Teach me that my soul does not have to frown at sex for me to be a Christian. It's hard for many people to say, thank God for sex. Because for them, sex is more of a problem than a gift. They need to know that sex and gospel can be linked together again. They need to hear the good news about sex. Show me how I can help them. Thank you, Lord, for making me a sexual being. Thank you for showing me how to treat others with trust and love. And thank you for letting me talk to you about sex. Thank you that I feel free to say, thank God for sex. What a great prayer that is, and I think a fitting way to end this seminar. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the information, the challenge, the exhortation, the comfort, the forgiveness, and the scriptural role model that you've given to us in many passages of your intention for love and sex. Thank you for your forgiving love that washes us from all of our sins. If we confess them, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Father, we thank you for the differences between men and women. Help us as men and help also the women to understand these differences, to respect those differences, and to honor the other emotionally and, yes, sexually. And Father, help us to be very honest, forthright, and very loving in the way we communicate our desires, our needs, and our feelings toward one another in this realm, that our marriages would be strong and continue to glorify Jesus Christ, who saved us from all of our sins and is bent on getting us to heaven. We thank